of Colorado and the Pod-B-N. Okay, we are on three, two, one. Pod B N check in today on what is the date? February thirteenth. Today we invited Amelia Burgess in to join Justin and I taking a little break from the election edition to just chat about what's going on here locally. Thanks for coming on, Amelia. Thanks for having me. So um, we know you well, and um, probably a lot of our listeners do, but for people who don't know the kind of stuff you've been involved in in the community, can you give us a quick rundown of your uh, your resume there? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in the area, um, then I moved away for a while, and when I came back, um, started getting involved again locally, and my very first um, kind of exposure to local government was serving on the um, the Evergreen Cemetery uh, Board of Trustees, which is a municipally owned, well, she's a township entity. And that was such a great introduction to how um, local entities of government work. We had a you know, relatively small budget, but we do all the same things that, that any form of government does. We set a budget, we set priorities, we plan for the future, um, all of those things. And just enjoyed it a lot, found it really gratifying. Then I had the opportunity to serve on the Zoning Board of Appeals for the city of Bloomington, which was interesting. And again, you know, the experience there really, um, you know, continued to build that interest and allow me to build on it. And then um, had this uh, crazy idea because the incumbent in my ward for city council was not running for office. And um, I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And after a primary and a general election, somehow I ended up in that seat and served four years as um, the city council representative for Ward 4 in the city of Bloomington. All right. During that time, you were also on the downtown task force, right? Both of you guys were? We were. True story. Yeah. Happy to chat about how the stuff's going on that front, too, today, too, if you want to. So um, That's not something I usually like to talk about. I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm curious. There's so I didn't know many positives in that process. I mean, th- things like the downtown task force are such a great reminder of how much people love our community, right? Yeah. I mean, and Justin, you know, he, he jokes now, and there's always <laughs> there's always a cha- change. You know, asking for change and putting new ideas out there is difficult. But we always, during every meeting, I think, and Justin will correct me if I'm wrong, we had people from the community just show up to watch, to engage. They'd reach out to us and, and share their thoughts. It was a really um, fun process. It's true. It was. I mean, we. it was very, um, like you said, people sh- People showed up, they spoke. We got, I, everybody got emails. Everybody that was on that task force got emails, um, stopped in the street often. Um, and it's broad range of topics when you talk about downtown that people are interested in, right? Like some people are as simple as, you know, Hey, there's garbage on the street. And some people are saying, what are you going to do with this building that's been abandoned for a decade? Um, so, uh, and I think that was what was unique about the task force is that we kind of covered a full, a full range of that spectrum too. Um, yeah. But I, but I think that's where the frustration comes in is knowing how much people support those activities and want to see progress and change and then not to feel like it's happening fast enough can be frustrating. Yeah. So I was just getting into local politics at that time. So I was like vaguely aware of it. Um, can you guys go back to the genesis and teach me a little bit about 
how that came about. So like that was something that Renner ran on, right? Was, I don't gonna, know if he specifically gonna, mentioned that, but I'm going to pop a few Xanax while Amelia starts this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're correct. I mean, um, Mayor Renner, one of the priorities he set at when he ran for mayor the first time and then when he ran for re-election was continued revitalization of downtown. Um, and um, there's a large portion of the comprehensive plan that the city council approved. And oh, my goodness, I'm going to forget what year that was. When do you, Justin, do you remember what year? We, was it 2019? For what? I'm no. sorry. The task force? No, the com- the comprehensive plan. That was like oh, maybe... I think it was... 2015. 2015? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. After the census. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So 2015, we passed a new comprehensive plan. Um, continued revitalization of downtown Bloomington plays a really large part of that plan. And there was this feeling that um, though there were so many priorities contained in the comprehensive plan, that there needed to be a, a more specific analysis for what could be done in downtown Bloomington. And so um, Mayor Renner, and I'm not even sure who all was involved in that initial conversation, they decided that he would put together a mayor's task force. And it would be um, two council, three council members and then members of the community. Um, some of them downtown business owners, um, some of them also having experience on our planning commission like Justin, who was actually both a downtown business owner as well as the chair of our planning commission at that time. <clears throat> and to really take a look at uh, what could be done very specifically in the short to midterm to make progress. And um, so I got to chair uh, the task force. I was really grateful for that opportunity. And I was grateful because we got to bring in people to talk to us, to help us make that decision. So we brought in you know, um, an assistant chief of police to talk about safety in downtown Bloomington. We brought in um, the, the then director of the regional planning uh, commission to talk about economic development, planning. She had been involved in um, the development of the um, city's comprehensive plan. So she knew that inside out. Then we got to bring in our, um, the city's um, uh, director of community development, Tom Dabreiner at the time, to really help us make informed decisions about what would have the biggest impact. And we also just opened it up. I mean, our very first meeting was, um, we invited any member of the community to come tell us what they thought we should do, what they wanted to see. Um, and then, of course, the other part that we were really informed by were our existing plans and trying to go through those and say, we're not reinventing the wheel, we're prioritizing and um, and came up with, a, 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 I think, a pretty wide variety of potential things from as simple as more public art, um, such as striped crosswalks that were more decorative, things like that, that are inexpensive, easy to achieve and can be done immediately uh, to things that were a lot bigger. Uh, what would a catalyst project look like in downtown Bloomington? Um, and how could we define that? And we were very lucky that the FAR plan for downtown Bloomington already had a lot of recommendations in there, which we could borrow. Um, so we, again, we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We didn't have to hire outside consultants. We just had to get familiar with what we already had and put it together in a package and then take it to, to city council. I think just to emphasize, because I feel like that's the part that we emphasize throughout the process and then after the process, that still like people didn't believe us. They, from my perspective, everybody thought we were coming up with all these ideas. Um, and I would say very few of those ideas in the task force report were original. They came from the FAR plan, uh, the comprehensive plan, or one of, or a member of the public. 
Um, and we just kind of- Or the downtown help. streetscape plan or the, right. I mean, we've got lots yeah. of plans. <laughs> right. And we just kind of help compile and, and, and like you said, prioritize them uh, based on feedback we received from department heads or the public or stakeholders or those types of things. We help prioritize them. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm not going to jump too far ahead and talk about how it, how it ended up, but I mean, that was a frustrating part for me it, is that it just seemed like we were beating our heads against the wall to get people to realize how it came to be and how we prioritized it and how transparent the entire process was along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we I had an initial, before. we had an initial draft report, you know, look for comments on that. So there, there was plenty of opportunity from our perspective uh, to have input into that report. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I Tyson, from a, oh, it's fine. It's so hard on zoom to not interrupt each other. Um, I remember from like watching it as a citizen, I, I was, I really appreciated that view of, I mean, it was very clear in there. These are the low hanging fruit, easy to do, low expense, like trim these trees, clean up this trash. You know, I can't remember if the trash was in there, but you know, like those types of just let's stop, let's just do some little things. And there's some medium term and then the, the big stuff, which intentionally in the report and in your presentations, I remember you and Carlo doing a presentation at the History Museum. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're very clear of like, these don't all, they're all part of a big plan, but like the big focus is not these catalyst projects. It's more of these little things. And then of course, once the word gets out, all the media coverage, all the attention is just on like the huge multi-million dollar projects and it like sucks all the air out of the room. thought it was very unfortunate. And I, I think I think that's a not just unique to the task force because there's a the media and the attention that you get plays a role. Like I wanted that task force to have attention, right? We wanted people in the public to come give us their opinion. We wanted people to get excited about what we were doing. But then the downside of that is that the media and people got to focus on whatever small part of that that they wanted to. And it happened to be that catalyst project, um, which was turned out to be controversial. Uh, That's not what we intended, um, but it turned out to be very controversial. And it's funny because I just um, so my my son's he's in fifth grade. And so one of his assignments is to do a news. he, He like reviews the news and does like a little snippet every day. And so I've been encouraging him to look at local news sources too. So we were looking through and saw the conversation about connect transit about the three sites. So that was one of the things we just got back from doing is I drove him past the three sites that are being considered and kind of talked about like some of the pros and cons of what's going on. And we drove through the market street garage and he's like, dad, this feels really dangerous. (laughs) Is this thing going to fall apart? And I was like, that's one of the reasons why we thought, hey, you know, the city already owns this. A lot of people are thinking, hey, if we're gonna if we're gonna do something here, maybe we can make a transfer center. And um, you know, a ten year old could understand that um, <laughs> with a little drive through. So I, again, the idea that it seemed like some people just thought that was such a ludicrous idea. Maybe it's because the library was mixed in or something. But so I'll give you. I'll, I'll try to go back and give a little history on kind of where that came from. So. I remember like sitting at the table in the fishbowl of, of, of city hall and kind of my mind getting wrapped around combining projects um, because we just, we heard a need from all of these different areas 
Um, you know, the library is going to need to have a large sum of money dumped into it. The Market Street parking garage was 10 years past its uh, livable life at that time in 2017. Um, you know, we would have to either dump millions of dollars more into it to keep it just where that the status it is now, or we'd have to do something different with it. And of course, connect transit with the, with the downtown transfer center. And like just the way that I, th I think it might have been Vasu, Amelia, correct me if I'm wrong, that kind of showed examples of a might have been Tom too. I can't remember. They showed examples of other communities combining some libraries and um, transfer centers and and parking garages and those types of things and how they could become catalysts for downtown. And I just remember sitting at the table thinking, like, this makes so much sense. I couldn't like once once I got my mind wrapped around it, it was hard to think of why we wouldn't do something like this. Um, and so that's where when we st first started to get some blowback, it was uh, it was shocking to me. And we got blowback from the library, um, from people, supporters of the library that really felt strongly that library should say where it's at. We also got blowback from people about downtown parking, which is always an issue. Um, you know, you take out the parking garage, what are you going to do? Um, and then we got blowback from people that said, you know, why are we spending money on a transfer center? <laughs> um, so it was, I don't know, I guess, I guess maybe I was just naive and wasn't prepared um, for someone not to see how, and in my eyes as maybe a, a entrepreneur business owner type mindset that I have is that you have all these projects that you need to fund. The easiest way to do it is to combine them, right? If you separate them, you may not get any of them done, but if you work together, you could get them all done. Um, and then the idea of grant money started coming in where connect transit has been very successful in the past of getting grant money. So I knew that was a possibility. I knew adding a library in there would only enhance that, right? It opens you up to more grant opportunities. So Again, I just from my perspective as someone not on council who was at that time just planning commission, a business owner thinking, gosh, this just makes so much sense. And I was just unprepared for the blowback we received. Yeah. Um, and I think the first time I saw the potential for that kind of recommendation was when I was reading the FAR plan for downtown. And it's right there in black and white. It talks about the Market Street garage. It talks about how it will need to be replaced because it's reaching the end of its, its lifespan. And literally says you should partner with someone to make this more than just a parking deck, right? When you replace this parking deck, you do parking and, and it had two, it had three recommendations actually. Um, the, um, the YMCA, uh, which had since moved on and has a different project. So it was no longer part of the conversation, uh, a community college, uh, but that's really not part of the conversation at this point in time either, because the FAR plan is uh, pretty, um, it's got a few years on it. So those things were opportunities at the time it was written, but because they weren't followed up on, those opportunities were missed, right? Windows open and closed. Um, but the last one was public library. And, you know, here we are, we have um, the library talking about the need to expand. There are significant issues with its current building and its capacity to expand at its current site, not to mention that um, it is while it is close in proximity to the core of downtown, it is isolated from the core of downtown in many ways. Uh, and the city has budgetary needs, right? Justin just talked about, you know, combining needs because that reduces costs for everyone. So we thought, well, let's just, let's put this into the conversation. And I think that's where it got really frustrating and hard to understand because we were constantly having to deal with things that weren't part of the conversation, right? We'd have people come up to us and say, you can't do that because we need that parking. Well, we have to, we, we know that um, the recommendation was to replace the parking garage. So there were some misunderstandings and that can be really frustrating, not just on um, the task force, but in general as an elected official, getting information out to people uh, is very, very difficult. It can be 
And it, it is frustrating on both ends because I would often have people reach out to me and say, I wish I'd known about this. And I also wish they had known about it. So they'd had an opportunity to engage and be part of the conversation. Um, but I think that, you know, during that conversation, what was odd to me or, or hard to understand is why we weren't talking about, okay, well, if this doesn't work, then what does? All right, if this particular project doesn't work for some reason or it's not appealing to you, what is appealing to you? Don't just say no. Tell me what you can do because these are needs that have to be met. We need a transfer center. The library needs to expand or at least update its current facilities. They're, they're, not, they're, not, they're inadequate for our community and the parking deck has to be replaced. So how, let's, let's keep working on this. You can say no to this, but you have to give me something else. And, and it wasn't to add on to what you said and what I said before about the kind of a little bit of a blowback. That was one, one thing, but probably the most frustrating thing was that people were unwilling, some people were unwilling to even have the conversation. Um, and some of those people served on council and some of those people served on task force, um, but, but they, they weren't, they weren't even willing to even talk about it. And, and like kind of going back to what you said, it's much easier to tear down a house than it is to build one. They were happy to tell us that our idea had no merit. Um, we shouldn't even discuss it. Shouldn't even be on the table, but they offered no other alternative. Um, and that's what we've been stuck with with downtown for several decades now is, is the status quo. Not saying there's not progress being made, but that progress is very, um, you know, grassroots and, and small and comparative to what we were talking about. We were talking about doing something that could significantly change the direction of downtown um, while not while being able to open us up to um, outside money as far as grants and federal dollars goes. So, again, it was just frustrating when you had people that job is to sit on city council and to be open to ideas that serve the better public. And they decided to shut those down. The conversation was worth having, whether or not it was a good idea would never be determined unless we had that conversation. Yeah. That's something um, I say about, uh, I'm not just saying it because you're here, Amelia, but one of the things I liked about you and your role on council is that I saw you taking the responsibility of championing initiatives and, um, getting behind things and trying to do the work to develop a proposal that would work. And man, that is, that is so hard to do. I mean, it's effectively a volunteer position. Like you, you get paid a little bit, but that's just, <laughs> it's effectively a volunteer position. You've got a family, you've got your job, the amount of time it already takes just to read through those packets and come in there and do that is, you know, is enough. And then to try to actually like get behind and develop a proposal that you think is viable for all the different stakeholders, it takes so much time. And then to see the reaction that so many ha people have of just like le levying criticism against things, against ideas without proposals for doing them better. It's, um, it's discouraging. It's discouraging for me to watch. I can only imagine how you felt when things like that were happening with you. So, well, and, it, and it's a significant, and that's something that we all should be concerned about um, because there are many positions, city council is one of them, but all of our boards and commissions, they aren't paid anything. The people who serve on those. So Justin has been on the planning commission. You're on the planning commission. Um, that's not a paid position. That is, you know, for, for good of the community. And we need people to serve in those positions so, um, you know, and, and I've had uh, pretty pointed conversations with people behind the scenes about how we, we should not be criticizing people in those positions. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but we need to, to all cut each other a little bit of slack and, um, and kind of maybe cut back against some of the, um, 
the tension, some of the drama. I mean, tensions have been running high in, in many regards, and it's easy to for that to kind of bleed over into local government. But I can say without a doubt that everyone I have served on council, I served on council with, um, was there because they wanted to improve the community. Period. That you know, I have no no qualms in saying that. That doesn't mean I agreed with them. Uh, I had vehement disagreements and just. Dis- fundamental philosophical um, differences with some of my colleagues, but they were there because they wanted to make the community a better place. And, um, and you know, we, I think we can be, I hope that we can all be respectful of that idea. So yes, I'm curious. So we've got an election. Of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. That, that's something that, that assumption of positive intent, we've talked about that on the podcast before about something that's really I think it underlies what we try to do here on, on, mm-hmm. on Podbean. We're trying to like just talk to all kinds of people and just understand where they're coming from and let them have a sense, a chance to explain themselves. And yeah, even though you might disagree with somebody or not understand what they're doing or think they're wasting their time with something, to see that people are coming at things with positive intent and with passion for what their like little niche is. Um, that's what I see 95% of the time in things. And frankly, if you're seeking like wealth and power, getting on city council or the, or the county board, like even as the, even the mayor, like these are not places you go to like, you know, gain an iron fist and, <laughs> and, and accumulate massive amounts of wealth, you know? So, um, so, yeah, yeah I, and you I, know, and, and even though I say that, I would still distinguish though that I also think though that we have people in positions of authority, uh, like on city council or a board of commission, there should be accountability, right? We can be respectful of people and grateful for their willingness to serve, but we should still hold them accountable for their actions and words and what they do in that position. I and, and it's so it's almost like I don't know, euphoric when I, when I see it, right? Like when you see two people, whether, I mean, I'm thinking of someone on on planning commission, I won't say, I won't name names, but like, I disagree often. Um, But like, we both like each other and we treat each other with respect. Um, And I, it's, it's so nice when you see that on a council or, or, you know, on a federal level, you know, you hear about like, all the John McCain's friends from across the aisle that he had. And those, those, like, I love that, those stories, especially today when it's, it seems to be more rare. Yeah. There was somebody on, um, I don't know if it's the same person you're talking about, but I, on the planning commission, like uh, he and I almost got into like a little bit of an argument to the degree that Justin was like, can we put this over in new business and go back to the main point of the meeting, please? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so we were very disagreeing. And then the last meeting, he and I were on the same page and trying to figure out how to support and back each other up and what we were trying to do here and we're able to find a way forward. So yeah, you don't make it personal and you um, just keep the, the greater good of the community in front of you. And then you, you find ways forward. I think often it, it leans, it lends itself to people, a couple things. Sometimes people just think they're more important than what they are. I think that's a very like in, in public service in a, in the business world, some people just think that they're more important than what they are. But then there's also things that, that help drive that too. Like some of the extreme, um, you know, blogs, podcasts, media, all those types of things. Like those, those don't, those don't help the situation. Right. Cause that if you have someone and they're being told all the time, you're right, they're evil. You need to go after them harder. You need to go after them hard. It's just going to drive that to be more negative. 
Um, so I think that's part of the problem. I don't have a solution for that. I'm just identifying the problem. Um, but the best, the better we can do to ignore those types of things, the better, I think. Amelia, I cut you off. You were going to ask about something. Oh, so we have a municipal election coming up. Um, and it's a pretty significant one, uh, especially in Bloomington, because we'll be electing a mayor and five council positions, um, one of which is not contested, right? Um, ward one One's is not, not contested, yeah. but every other ward is is contested and no incumbents are running in those, those ward positions and no incumbents are running uh, as mayor. So I'm curious, and you have been interviewing candidates, what are you all looking for? And how, how, you know, how do we explain to, to voters how to assess these candidates to determine who would be in the best position to be effective as a member of city council or as the new mayor of Bloomington? I said, I'll let you, you know, simple, go simple question, simple question. Go first. <laughs> um, so I got, I got, there's a few topics that come to mind on that. Um, one is that it, they are nonpartisan elections mm-hmm. and some people um, will kind of scoff at that because you know, in reality, a lot of stuff is partisan. Like, I think if you look at the normal mayoral race, you've got Mayor Coos and you've got Mark Tarantilli, I think they fall they fall pretty neatly into your liberal conservative type stereotypes there um, with their rhetoric and their circles that they run in, right? So that kind of thing perpetuates, like, why don't we just go ahead and call it D versus R and just stop making people, like, jump through all these hoops? But... What I counter with that is that when you look at people who you might put in those buckets when they actually get on council, the groups that they form together and work with don't align in that way. And they don't always align all the time. It depends on the issue. It depends on the the situation that they are in. And so, um, you know, I try to think of a nice example of that, but like, well, anyway, I I think I'm going too into the weeds with examples, but mm-hmm. I think it's really important to look at the people who are running and to not and to try to get past your initial tendency to say like, are they on my team, right? So you can take some kind of hot button national issue like, you know, gun rights. Like, how do they feel about gun rights? And if they say yes or no, then I'm either going to vote for them or not, depending on that. Or um, same sex marriage. You know, I'm just going to. Mm-hmm. Go. I'm just going to go based on these like hot button issues. It, I think it behooves people to think a little bit more about locally, you know, infrastructure, police, fire, um, the these projects that we talk about, parks, things like that. What, what do you? How do you feel about those? And how do those align with what you'd like to see? And it's more tactical than it is philosophical, at least in my mind. It's like how are we going to get this stuff done? Yeah, I. I, I agree a lot with what Tyson said, but I, I'll say to answer your question, Emily, I'm looking at two different things. One, of course, is issues, right? Uh, what Tyson said, like, I want to make sure, um, you know, preserving our historic neighborhoods are important. I want to make sure downtown is important to that candidate. Um, all those things are, are going to be important to me when I'm listening to somebody. But what's probably even more important is just how well and how good of a person I think they are. And I don't think that was the case four years ago or eight years ago at, on different cycles. I didn't look at that as closely because I had the assumption that most people were like 
willing to work with the other person. They might disagree, you know, on the dais during a meeting, but they would be able to be friendly with each other outside of those meetings and those types of things. And I don't get that sense anymore. And so, especially, um, as we interview some candidates and, you know, we just had one, um, that we interviewed. I, I, I don't know if it's aired yet or not, but, um, that surprised me. Like I had some preconceived notions going into that interview and we got to talk for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And I left going, that's a very sensible person who like, I disagree on probably, I'd probably say 50% of most of the things he said, like I agree 50 and disagree 50, where if it was just solely issue based, I might not, you know, lend my support to him. Um, but he was just so level headed in the way that he spoke about things and willingness to learn and willingness to listen and educate himself on topics that, and be humble enough to under, to say that he doesn't understand everything. Like all those things are, are probably the most important thing to me when I'm looking at candidates today um, and not coming at it from an angle of, I know what's right and I'm not going to listen to anybody. And some of that is probably because I've been so scorned in the past, a lot of it on the task force of people just not willing to listen. And I understand the frustrations behind that. And I don't think progress is made that way. Um, so that's probably the thing I'm looking for the most in candidates that when I go to the, when I go to the polling place is just a willingness to educate themselves, listen, maybe a little bit of empathy and humble humbleness, um, to be able to get outside their own circle and, and understand there's different ideas. Yeah. You, did, you just that's said really, that about Buddha judge yeah. really, uh, recently, Justin, where you're like, that's something you always liked about him was that he, he'd learn about something if he needed to yeah. learn about it. Right. Right. When he was nominated for uh, secretary of transportation and just, I, I forget what the actual post was, but it just showed like he, I don't know how much he knew about, I mean, obviously mayors know about transportation. That's, that's, you know, that's a um, common place to go pick a secretary of transportation. I think as someone that has a history in, in that, in that role, but even if he didn't know everything as much as, you know, another person that was considered, I trust that he's going to educate himself because that's the type of person that he is is he's going to dive in and learn everything he can about that subject right away. And I mean, maybe, you know, I'm not comparing myself to Mayor Pete by any means or now Secretary Pete, uh, but I feel like I'm the same way. I knew very little about city planning before I, you know, thought about being on the planning commission. Um, but it didn't take me long to, I mean, I, I would challenge my knowledge of the comprehensive plan of amongst almost anybody because <laughs> I've read through it. My go-to source for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's because like, I understand the importance of that role of being on the planning commission. So I want to make sure that I had the knowledge um, to be able to execute that role. Um, and I, and I'd like to see that in other people too. Um, and municipal candidates, local candidates, as well as uh, secretary of transportation, I guess. Yeah. Amelia, as, you've you got know, a I different view than you've got a different view than us. So I'm curious about what you're looking for. Well, uh, you know, I mean, that's Justin. Well, both of you made some really good points, but I'm going to pick up on one of Justin's, which is this idea that um, once you're elected to city council or as mayor, you're now part of a team. Um, no matter what platform you ran on or how much of the, you know, you ran as being a newcomer or an outlier, you're now part of a team. And if you can't work with that team, you won't be effective um, because you can't do anything by yourself the mayor doesn't even get a vote in the city of Bloomington. Now, they, he, the mayor does vote in the town of Normal, um, but, but in Bloomington, you've got to be able to work with your colleagues uh, to get a majority of council to agree with you on whatever it is you want to achieve. Um, so that's, and that can be difficult, you know, to be someone coming in and saying, I've got ideas and I want to be a change agent. Um, 
but you still got to be able to work with people who may or may not be comfortable with the idea of change. Uh, so that's an important skill uh, that, that would, is very, very useful for council members. Um, I think when I'm, when I'm lo- looking at candidates and evaluating, I'm looking for two other things. I'm looking for people that, you know, I, I'm okay with people. And I think it's great that people are inspired about things that are, you know, national issues because um, there's a lot of that in the news right now, you know, a desire for change and, and um, in many different areas, but you've got to be able to distill that to the local level. What does that mean for a municipal government, right? Whatever this issue is, what, how can you affect change at the municipal level? Because you can't, you can't do it the same way you would at the national level or the state level, because that's just not what city government does. Um, and of course, there's always a question about whether or not it, sh- it may or may not be something city government can even do. But that's a different conversation. We'd have to talk about a specific issue. But then the other thing I want to see is I want to see people with specific proposals. Um, and I think uh, as a community, as voters, we really let candidates for local government get away with things like economic development. That's the platform, right? What does that mean? Uh, I want to see more than that, right? If you're talking about economic development, I want to see your three proposals for what, especially for mayor, three proposals for as mayor, what you will do, right? And it can be simple, like um, establish greater partnerships with the Economic Development Council or um, go to the Small Business Development um, uh, SBDC. What is this? Small Business Development, is it a corporation? Center. Center? Yeah, Small Business Development Center. Thank you. Thank you. I completely blanked on what, what the C stood for. You know, and partner with other entities. It doesn't have to always be the city doing it, but I want to see actual proposals, um, uh, you know, and, and those are so common. Public safety, great. What does that mean? Um, what are you going to actually do? Because otherwise we're going to vote. What happens is we vote for people who, who we agree with on these big platforms, and, but then we're surprised by what we get. Or more often we get, we don't, what we don't get because there were no clear proposals. Um, the person going in, doesn't really have an agenda or a list of things they, they hope to achieve, um, yeah. right? And, and then on the other side of it, um, we ha- I'm going to go back to that word I used earlier, which is accountability. I think during election cycles, we have to go back and look at what people did and say, okay, did you meet it or not? Um, but we have to be informed enough to understand that no single person can accomplish everything. And, um, you know, and that compromise or timing are, are just as important to follow as, as to, to have those ideas in the first place. How, how much of this do you think is lack of um, a strong local media? And I'm not picking on any station or paper individually, but like, you know, local media has taken a large hit over the last several years. And there's just not the, uh, the number of reporters and, and those types of positions out there. So to my point being like, if a candidate, if a, what mayoral candidate's not going to say I'm for economic development, right? But but we don't we, we don't have somebody to say, well, is your opponent not for economic development? We don't, <laughs> you know, we don't have a reporter to be like, well, then why are yeah. you different? Um, Anti-cancer, you know? you know, very much. I don't like cancer. Just, yeah, yeah. My my I mean, opponent, on the other hand, because <laughs> no. I mean, I, I think your point mm-hmm. is is very very well taken, Amelia. That that you're right. I mean, if you look at probably every candidate in Bloomington and normal and look at their very high level of what they've been putting out on social media and what they're saying, it's probably all the same, but I would Mm -hmm. guess they all have different ideas of how to achieve those things. Um, but we're not getting those ideas out. 
Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's more and more difficult to hear what they're actually going to do when they're elected. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think we have to be open to the possibility they don't know. <laughs> that, I mean, that is also a possibility when we don't ask for that. I don't know if it's a, a lack of strong local media that, that's driving that because, um, I mean, I'm sympathetic to that. I think our local media do a fa- you know, just an amazing job, but they are, they don't have the resources all the time to, to do that in-depth coverage. Um, but I think that they're doing a fantastic job. I think a lot of this information is available. I think it's just, I, you know, I'm not sure. I think. And, well, it's and so just, easy to get national media. Like it, yeah. It's almost, I have to actively try not to get national media because I, it just like comes in from every, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, you know, people talk about it at work and it's flashing up on the TV when you're like eating dinner somewhere and stuff. And it's just so in your face and so highly produced mm-hmm. that, you know, um, even like I mentioned my son doing the, the I mentioned you guys, my son was doing like news things. And he's like, I feel like every day I just have to write what's going on in the news. Trump's getting impeached and coronavirus is really bad. I'm like, <laughs> well, this is why I, don't, I try to only check national news like once or twice a week because like that's pretty much how it is. You know, uh, mm-hmm. local news is so much more impactful and relevant to us, but you have to work to find it. Right. You have to get into like a habit and it's not going to be just like flashing in front of your face naturally all the time. It, so I, I'm sympathetic to people not not making the effort to, to seek it out, I guess. And I just want to clarify, that was more what I meant. I didn't mean that our the local media we do have isn't working hard. I mean, oh, no, no, uh, no. I'm, of course not. I know you're a big supporter of yeah, uh, local I media. Just, I, I just don't think that we have enough. Like at one time, just speaking of our community, we had, you know, three to five very, like three to five either, you know, radio stations or, or, or publications were at city council meetings every, every Monday. And now we might see one of those. Um, you know, it, well, of course, now with Zoom, it's probably different, but it's just they don't have the resources available to cover. And when you don't have so then then what you get is that high level. This is what happened. You get the recap, but you don't have any of that in-depth like follow through with, you know, let me let me go interview this council person and dig deeper. We don't have that. So in, in a campaign, we don't we don't have the dig deeper into the candidates. We might have a forum. But again, it's very easy to speak high level at a forum when they're trying to, you know, get the ideas out of three or three to five different candidates. Uh, but a one-on-one, uh, and I think that's somewhat why we try to do the podcast, but we also try to not go, we, we don't want to be that gotcha podcast either. So that's a fine line that we try to walk to is try to ask a follow-up question once and if they dodge it again. We kind of let it go, right? Because we don't want to spend, you know, our entire podcast trying to get one answer out of a candidate. But I don't know. That's just something that I've, I've pondered a lot too, Amelia, is because you're right. We I have no idea for the most part what many of the candidates on township, city council, mayor, whatever position you want to pick, um, what concrete, solid, policy they're going to uh, introduce once elected. Yeah, I, uh, and I, I characterize some things as my term is politics of resentment. And you see it on the left and on the right, where people are very vocal and clear about what things they don't like. You know, I think you, you browse, browse uh, Mark Tertilli's Facebook page. He does not like the condition of the roads. He's very dissatisfied with the condition of the roads. And it's fair to say you guys have been in charge for so long and the roads are horrible. Very fair, right? It's holding somebody accountable for it. But then it's like, okay, that's a really, really hard thing 
to solve. There's decades of development that have led to the conditions that we're in right now, economically, zoning, planning wise, transportation. Like there's a lot of things that have resulted in this. And so to just say, I don't like this, elect me and it'll get better. Like, I want to, I want to know how, like, are you going to stop new development? Are you going to rezone to allow increased density so that there's more like taxpayers per unit of land? Like, are you, do you think it's all waste in the government and you're going to like cut some big function to be able to fund roads? Like, tell me, do you think the roads aren't being like engineered properly and maintained properly? Like, I need to know what that is to, to know, like to have any faith that electing you is going to result in anything better in four years. right? And this isn't, this isn't a new strategy, right? I mean, anytime uh, I'll speak on a national level cause it's easier to wrap our heads around, I think, but anytime a party's in the minority, that's the easier place to be, right? Because you get to just criticize everything the majority is doing. Um, but once you're in the majority and you actually have to do something that becomes a lot more difficult, right? It's kind of like, I mean, the joke now is like, oh, now Republicans are going to start caring about the deficit again, right? <laughs> like that, I mean, that, that, that's been said a lot. So it's, it's that type of mentality though. It's like, well, it's just, again, what I said earlier is it's much easier to tear down a house than it is to build one. Um, and I think that as a candidate, especially running, you mentioned Mark Tiritelli, especially running against an incumbent, that's the strategy we've seen used to, you know, hundreds of times, right? It's yeah. a, they're not doing a good enough job on X, Y, Z, this one being Rhodes, to use your example. Um, I can do better. Get me elected and I'll show you. But yeah. I don't I don't fault him for taking that route. And I agree with him that the roads are not in good condition. So I, I just, I illustrate that not as a criticism of him, but just as an illustration of like, I want to know the next step of what to expect, right? And um, you can go all concrete roads but we're not going to get anything else done. <laughs> um, I'll kind of pivot a little bit. Something else I'm looking for is um, I, I'm really impressed to see a background of service in people. So I thought about when I listened to um, Kelby Clumpson's interview, when he talked about spending his weekends going and gathering food from the farmer's market and delivering it to, to shelters and to other places where people needed it. Like, those types of things really impressed me um, just to see you're not like standing back and just saying like, this is a problem. This is an issue. Like how can I do like a little bit more within my power to make things better? That go, Those things go a long way with me too. Like your first act of public service shouldn't be running for office. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah. I get it. I, I feel the same way. I mean, it can be right. There's nothing holding that back. Um, that's up to the voters to decide if that's good enough or not. But um, I tend to agree with you that I want to, I want to see that you've um, educated yourself or, or volunteered or done something before you decided to represent people. It's nice when you've got it back, like Amelia, how, how you kind of walked yours through was sort of one progression, right. Of like, I'm on a, I'm on like a smaller board. Then I go to a, Board, city board and commission, then I go to the city council, you know, that's one route, but it, it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. in a, um, yeah. it doesn't have to be like a formal position like that. But is that something that's important to you too, Amelia, to kind of see that background in people? Yes. I, and, but I agree with you. It doesn't have, there's no single route to get there, but um, to some extent, I think past results are most indicative of future outcomes. So um, we need something to, to base that on some, some something that shows a desire to give back to the community, to build the community, I think is very helpful to have a better idea of what we're going to get. 
Um, but there's no single background. I mean, I was, I was grateful for the, for the progression I had because I can look back on that and see how each of those positions gave me a, a good mindset on how to be effective when I was on city council. So, um, so I'll just give you an example. Um, when I ran, one of the things I ran on was improving the quality of our rental facilities here in, in the community, because I believe very strongly, big social picture, I believe very strongly that everyone should have a safe place to live, period. So then the question is, well, what, what can municipal government do to match that, that, you know, uh, that goal that I have identified or that value that I have, that everyone should have a safe place to live? Um, and one of them is the fact that our rental properties, especially at that time, um, were some of them were in very poor condition. Uh, all of us, I think, seeing them would say they were unlivable. Um, we're talking about holes in roofs, we're talking about mold, we're talking about electrical systems that weren't safe, um, lack of proper egress in case of a fire. I mean, we had a real issue. But my prior um, service and my prior um, experience taught me that you have to look at this, okay, well, we have an end goal, but you can't jump to the end goal. There's no way to do that. So then I was able to go to the department head that oversaw the rental property inspection program and say, okay, what's going on here? Why are they so bad? He said, well, we we're three years behind in our inspections. Um, like, whoa, okay, well, why are we three years behind in our inspections? So we should always be kept up. He said, oh, we don't have enough funding. We have one inspector. Um, we're, we are three years behind and we will continue to fall behind. So then it's, okay, well, what do you need to do to get caught up? Oh, we just need, we need one more inspector. And, you know, okay, how much will that cost? Oh, all right, now we know how much it will cost. Then we look at ways to fund it um, because uh, city government, you know, we, uh, you have to pay for it. It's real money, yeah. <laughs> it's real, yeah, it's real money and there's no, no deficit spending, right? Our, our budget balances. And, um, you know, and also knowing that at that time we were going through some really difficult budgetary time periods. So we weren't going to be able to raise, you know, raise taxes for this, and nor did we need to. So we look at the other option um, to generate revenue, which is fees. And we could, by raising the rental property inspection fee by $30, pay for another inspector, right? So then, um, and that's what we did. We raised the fees by $30, um, got another inspector. Within a year, we were caught up on inspections and we had additional data, right? We knew at that point in time, how many of these facilities have been brought up to code and many of them had been, right? All it took was getting that inspector in there. But we also knew that some facilities were not, still not up to code. And then we addressed that problem. So, you know, that really process-oriented and uh, data-based um, precision, I, I don't think I would have had the ability to go in there and address that problem in that way if I hadn't had my prior experience. So, uh, so yes, uh, long answer to a very short question, which is, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to talk before we run out of time or anything, I want to talk about what you, Amelia, feel like the biggest concerns are for the, for our community going forward. So as we, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the council races uh, that are occurring right now. So what should those candidates be looking for? What are, our, what are going to be our biggest challenges going forward over the next four to eight years? Oh, that's a big question. But um, one thing that's really um, is on my radar that I'm interested in um, because I continue to serve as the city of Bloomington's representative on the economic development um, council for, for the Bloomington normal um, community is this notion that our, um, our workplace needs are changing. Uh, coronavirus has changed things greatly. Work from home has become much more uh, acceptable. And I think it's too soon to know whether or not those practices will continue, but we could be heading into an era, 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 not error, an era 
where it is more likely that people will live where they, they will work where they live instead of live where they work. And in that dynamic where people get to choose where they live, how do we best compete? How do we, how do we position ourselves today to take advantage of that change and definitely not be caught unprepared? So I think that's, that's something that's very important. Number two, on the, very similar to that, is workforce development. Um, because the one thing that will limit your economic development as a community more than anything is lacking the workforce that is needed to bring in businesses or to grow businesses that are already in a community. So those are, I think, big issues. I continue to believe that uh, downtown Bloomington, as many wonderful things are going on there, is a very underutilized um, part of our community. And, um, and I think that it will, in some ways, limit our ability uh, to succeed the way we want to until we have our downtown fully revitalized. Um, and some of that is addressing the number of vacant buildings, which continue to be there, the empty storefronts. Um, Market Street parking deck is huge. Um, and because it has to be replaced, right? It is city property. And that parking is a necessity for, for some of our largest businesses in the downtown area. And uh, in line with that, Eastland Mall, um, large um, commercial areas like that that are underperforming, um, the city has a role to play. And then I think my final thing is continuing to evolve as a community with smart growth and smart initiatives. Um, technology is a big one, but I also think that as a community, we need to continue to revisit public safety from the perspective of, um, of safe streets. Uh, the county's working on a vision zero policy. I'm really excited about that. I wanna see the city move forward with, with a vision to partner with the county um, or at least the McLean County Regional Planning Commission on a vision zero plan, because I think we can get there. And for anyone who's not aware of vision zero, um, that is this notion that we can have zero traffic fatalities within the community. And because um, I, I, I always tell people that one of the most dangerous things that you will do on any given day is to get in your car and go for a drive. Um, yes. And we don't recognize that risk because it's so common, but it is. And uh, the, the, the city plays a large role in, in improving traffic safety because of the way streets are designed and, and all of those things. So um, those are some of the ones that come to mind right away. There's many more. Really I mean, there's good. so much opportunity in this community uh, for growth and improvement. Yeah. So. I, I, I love those. And now I want to solve all those problems. So let's, t let's backtrack. Let's do it. <laughs> let's let's do it. We have like at least 15, 20 minutes left, so we can do, do it. We? Okay. We're up <laughs> we got this. So I, I love what you said uh, before. And, and I know, you know, that I wrote an editorial about that in the paper not long ago about yeah, I'm how totally stealing all your good ideas. No, 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 no. We, we share too many. Um, but the, <laughs> The, um, the idea that more common, whether it's gonna, it's not going to be a flip, right? We're not going to flip a switch and all of a sudden everybody's remote and can, <laughs> doesn't have to go to the office anymore. But I think that we can recognize that the trend is going in that direction. How fast that happens is, is to be determined. But it's time to start thinking about how we attract people because that's what's going to attract workforce or it's, it's what's going to attract business. So goes into the second thing you said, because I believe this is a very strongly connected and that's downtown. So in, in my editorial, I had mentioned, um, you know, a thriving downtown walkability uh, parks, all those are reasons people will come and live in a community. If you take work out of the equation, right? If it doesn't matter where work is, what's going to attract somebody to live there. And it's being able to, you know, have things to go do at night and on the weekends, it's leisure activity. It's being able to take a walk. It's being all those things. So going back to what you said before, what's some concrete ideas that we can do 
to to make that a possibility, to make sure that we realize that that is a real concern that we need to start addressing quickly. And do you think maybe Bloomington's already doing a good job at it? I don't know. But what, what's your thoughts on it? So, I mean, yes, downtown is a big one. Um, and part of that is, I think, looking at the assets we have and seeing how they can be improved. Miller Park Zoo, I would say, is a significant one. I mean, what a wonderful um, uh, part of our community to have um, a zoo that is so high quality. Um, and I mean, it's an accredited zoo. It is part of several conservation breeding efforts, including snow leopard um, breeding programs. And I don't think we always uh, appreciate or recognize uh, as members of the community how significant that is and how, um, how impressive what is being done in our community is. So I think then we say to ourselves, okay, how do we make it better? Um, because we have some of those assets already that will bring people in, but let's continue to fully support them. We also have the Children's Museum, which is just an extraordinary. They just got um, recognition at a state level for how they've been handling um, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and even though they've had to close their doors, they are still providing uh, resources to local families. Um, so I think part of it is um, continuing to recognize what we have and then building on it. But um, yeah, yeah, parks is a big one. What am I, I'm not sure if I'm completely answering your question. Uh, one I would add to that too is um, the the local brewery scene too about yeah. how successful that has been. And this this uh, this episode isn't officially brought to you by Little Beaver Brewery, but um, you know, go ahead and mention them anyway. But one I of the reasons I love. <laughs> Little we also have our first micro creamery. How amazing is that? I want to see that become a, a trend. I haven't heard of that. What is that? Yeah, in Uptown. Um, they're, okay. they're doing small batch ice cream and, you know, wow. really innovative things. Dig um, it. and ice cream. And they're, what they're, else they're just, they're supposed to, I think they were supposed to have their grand opening this weekend, but it's gotten disrupted by a, a, a literal train wreck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because the power is out in downtown, but, um, Justin, what is that called? It's, it's Theo's Creamery, right? I think it's Theo's. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Theo, um, I'm, I'm just trying to look it up, make sure, because I'm super, I, I'm a big that, ice cream like, person. I'm super excited. <laughs> but I mean, to, to realize that that that's present here along with some of the, like how uh, one of the first Fridays and all of the art studios were open and I was just shocked at all the art studios in downtown Bloomington that are just like hidden away. Oh. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree with everything that both of you said. And and that lends me again. I'm putting on a hat that I like to wear, and it's the marketing hat. And and I think and I think we we could do a much better job of marketing the assets we already have. Um, you, Miller, you mentioned Miller Park Zoo, and every time someone mentions Miller Park Zoo, I love to throw the fact out on them that it's the only zoo on Route 66. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. like I tell them that because that's the only way they're going to know about it. <laughs> Right. So we, we, we need we need to make sure that that's known, especially not just here. I mean, that's cool that our community knows. But like how many people we've seen that with the Route 66 History Museum, how many people traveled to there to visit that? So we need to make sure they know that that zoo is very unique in that way um, to start attracting people there as well. Um, I love one of the things that like a mayoral candidate, if they brought that out of increasing the marketability and mentioning some of these things to be like present outside of our community be a bigger, you know, people should know Bloomington normal for other than being state farm headquarters and having ISU at it. Right. Like, right. So, like, so that could be a mayoral campaign. Uh, Cause, Cause I love what you're doing right now. Both of you are being ambassadors for our community. And I think that's, I mean, that's, that's what we need though. We need the members of our community to, to talk us up and cause we have so many wonderful things going on 
And there's so many reasons why people would want to live here, including that it's, you know, our cost of living comparatively is very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, so we talk a lot about like, you know, we need to work well with the EDC. We need to work well with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, but the Convention and Visitors Bureau is also there and they do a phenomenal yeah. job. Uh, I'm on the board, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> they, they do a really good job, but they also need like the city to help, too. And, and I'm just comparing Bloomington to normal for a second. I think normal does such a better job of marketing themselves than the city of Bloomington does. Um, I always get kind of upset when I hear people say, oh, Normal has all these festivals. Bloomington has a lot of things that happen in downtown Bloomington. It's just nobody knows about them. Um, I mean, they do. They uh, th- Yes, Normal has the Sugar Creek Art Festival, and they have all those types of events there that are, that are annual events that are very common, but so does Bloomington. Bloomington has a farmer's market every weekend. We have the WGLT summer concert uh, that, that comes to downtown Bloomington. Um, we have car shows. We have all kinds of art, uh, to Tyson's point earlier. Like, we have, you know, First Fridays and all those walks, and we could be doing better. It's not that they're not doing good. I just think we could be doing a lot better to market that, especially outside our community. Um, you know, throwing, throwing a couple of radio station ads on one thing. And, and I think they're doing that, but being able to get that out there, if you look at any, um, publication that gets spread out, uh, outside of our community and trying to attract tourists, it has one thing in it and it's the circle in uptown. Um, it all has that circle in it. And, and I would like to see more Bloomington in some of those publications and, and media that's going out. That's my point of that. So, well, without that, a doubt, you're right. You're right. I mean, there's no reason for us to be humble about our community, right? That doesn't, um, you know, unless we don't want people to know about it, but we do. We do want people to discover Bloomington and Bloomington Normal and what a great place it is to live. One of the things I think on that workforce point that's also worth mentioning, and for for financial services like I work in, um, the arrangement I could typically see for somebody living outside is that they would they would work largely remotely, but there'd be some expectation of a periodic in-person mm-hmm. visit, like maybe once a month or once every couple of months that they would come in. And so I think another huge advantage we have is our proximity to St. Louis, Indianapolis, and Chicago, where that is that is definitely a day tripable for us, mm-hmm. right? Especially on a limited basis. And then furthermore, the airport that, I mean, if I worked for a company in Atlanta, I could go there and take a direct flight there and right there's a direct flight to Atlanta <laughs> yes okay yeah. don't want to oversell that um I could take a direct flight to Atlanta spend a couple of days there come right back here like with the, the with the free parking and like the 10 minute um it's 10 minutes to get to the airport probably like 15 minutes to get to your actual gate take a direct flight come back I mean it's it, it's so accessible for where places are here and um I, I would I think that's something that could be marketed to people looking for that kind of arrangement too. Yeah. Our location. I think, I think like the EDC does a good job of that. I mean, our location is definitely one of our biggest assets. Um, You know, the major interstates that cross through the train station in uptown, um, the airport uh, that you mentioned, I mean, all those I think are, it's, if I had to rank our assets, that would be one of, that would be the top one. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially like uh, going back to Amelia's point of people that not necessarily having to live where they work. I mean, they're, they could be lo- their office could be located in Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, um, and live in Bloomington and visit their office once a week or month, whatever is necessary, and still be able to do that. And that, I think that's what we got to start wrapping our head around is we have to be more progressive in how we think the workforce is going to be 
in the next 10 or 20 years. Like Tyson, I know you and I talk a lot uh, on planning commission. This comes up quite a bit about, yes, that is what's happening now, but we have to think about what this is going to look like in 10 years, 20 years and 30 years. And I think that's what we got to, we got to do the same, you know, line of thinking when we're thinking about economic development and the workforce. Yeah. There's probably some infrastructure improvements that we could make in terms of um, internet speeds or accessibility. Um, Mm -hmm. That would be, I think if there's something I think of, and again, those are, I mean, there's private companies doing that, but the city I think has a role in trying to facilitate that. If that's a priority for our community, they can help. Well, we could go uh, not to bring the conversation always back to downtown, but that's been something I've been talking about downtown for a while. We need free Wi-Fi downtown. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> you want people to hang out downtown, give them free Wi-Fi um, and give them a place to, to, you know, meet and that yeah. you, you'll get people just because of that. So. And there's a, there's also a, um, there's a, a broader social uh, purpose for that as well too. Um, for people who don't have internet easily um, where they live to be able to come to a place that has free Wi-Fi, It's something that the library did during um, COVID was keep their, keep their Wi-Fi open and accessible from the parking lot so that people could come and, and do that, uh, apply for jobs, apply for aid. That's cool. Uh, yeah, that's very cool. It serves a, serves a social need there as well. So, what what other problems can we solve today? <laughs> the weather—it's uh, bitterly cold today. So, if you could fix that, <laughs> I got I got to mention. I was out this morning uh, for a little bit, and then I got to go back out uh, a little bit of shopping this afternoon. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is when it's just like I can handle like 20s for a while, mm-hmm. but there's just nothing we can do. Like we have a person who cleans our house and we're like, okay, well let's go out and do something fun on Monday mornings while she's doing that. Like I can't think of a single thing I would like to do outside of this house. (laughs) So yeah, it builds character though. Builds like you, you really appreciate summer when it comes and those people who have nice weather all the time, they don't appreciate it like we do. Right. Just got to keep telling yourself. Right. Right. That's a, that's a positive way to go. (laughs) I can't remember what else was on your list, Amelia. I felt like the last one was one I wanted to talk more about. Um, for third point of what what needs to be looked at. Yeah, I've already forgotten. I don't even know what I said. We have to rewind <laughs> the tape. Yeah. yeah, there's no tape. Probably. Uh, I mean, I got distracted by talking about ice cream. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm exci- I'm excited about ice cream too, and, and it's and it's four degrees outside. And I'm excited about ice cream. Yeah. I can bring it back to roads again. And then, you know, with that is sewers and um, like really coming to grips with the situation that confronts us. Um, And on my, on my to-do list is to try to do what I've seen done in some other communities where they try to calculate the infrastructure deficit that they have, because that's not part of something that the city calculates. And, um, if you consider road maintenance to be a liability, which it is, and it right? is. Road. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how you can say it isn't. It is. Yeah. Um, it's so, an ongoing cost that never goes away. Yeah. So, and I, and I like to say a road is a promise. Like the city doesn't just get to say like, you know what, Olive Street's worn out. So we decided we're just not going to do that one this anymore. So, <laughs> um, you know, you guys deal with that. So 
like there's a promise there and just like a pension it's exactly like a pension right there's a promise that's been made there's assets that back it but there's also liabilities and um there's techniques to try to calculate those liabilities and to figure out how much we're really on the hook for here and just like the amazing hole that we're in in terms of deferred maintenance on our roads let alone anything new like we have half a sidewalk in my neighborhood it's just like a sidewalk and once it gets to a property line it just ends and every time i walk it just drives me nuts i'm like why did like can we just bring it the other 10 feet so that it connects to that driveway or can we just rip this whole thing up why do i have half a sidewalk but i talked to public works about it and they're like we're not making any more sidewalks right now we can't even take care of the ones we have um, and that is one of the things that I think is most shocking about and, and Bloomington and Normal are not alone in this, but the idea that as we have built our communities, we haven't actually asked ourselves that question, can we afford to maintain what we're building? Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to understand why that wasn't asked, but we, I mean, you're spot on, we have to ask that question now. And I think that one thing that, that perhaps the public is unaware of is how much how, how massive that obligation can feel at times. I mean, you're talking about half a sidewalk, but it reminds me while I was on council, one of the things we voted on was to connect a block of houses to the public sewers for the very first time because they had never been connected. And of course, you know, me being me, I'm like, well, where, where's their sewage going now? And the answer was, we're not entirely sure. So I'll let that sink in for just a second. And what, sink in, very but, good I mean, term. That's a good. <laughs> yeah. So let's just no. I mean, but but that is uh, there is a a need to catch up there. Um, that is a significant obligation, and it really needs to be just like you were just talking about Tyson, because that's a good point. It needs to be a reminder and a call to action moving forward that we need to be a lot more educated about how we grow our community, um, I, because there's a cost to it. We may not pay it today but we're going to have to pay it. I will say Tyson loves, loves that question on planning commission. He does. I love it. Um, <laughs> and I make commission meetings go, he does. I make commission meetings go unnecessarily long by asking it over and over again. So, <laughs> you know what? But keep asking it until you get that answer because sometimes changing practices is, is difficult and we need people to hold uh, this city accountable for answering those questions. It just, right. even though it's uncomfortable to keep right. asking. You keep asking that. I'll keep asking about why we only build one si- sidewalk on one side of the street. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, I know this, this upsets Tyson too, because it upsets me um, is, is the idea of infill. And we talk about with the comprehensive plan, um, you know, we're going to focus on infill development, but what it seems to me is like, we just call everything infill now. Cause that's, what's appropriate, right? Like we threw the ball as far as we could possibly throw it. We went, Oh, that was too far. Let's not put nothing past that. But even though there's nothing between here and there, let's let's still call that infill. Um, We've called called the development at Fox Creek, which was, these would be the most southwestern houses being built in Bloomington. We called that infill. Yeah. There's new houses going in over like by, uh, like on the way over to Ireland Grove across the other side of Tawanda Barnes. That was infill. I'm like, I don't know what the definition of infill is anymore, but it's it's like if it's a planned subdivision then it's called infill and i'm like and there's this feeling that we can't change direction you know if we and and i disagree with that i think that we're going to have to um for a number of reasons but there is that feeling um but we have to i think be 
be transparent about the fact about what, what infill will mean. It is better for planning. It is better for the environment. It is better for the community, but it has higher upfront costs, right? Infill development in some, in some instances, or let me say in many instances, has higher upfront costs. So we may as a community need to incentivize that because the end result is better financially and the end result is more desirable. But we're gonna have to be transparent about what that looks like because if we leave it up to developers, and, and, you know, just looking at the spreadsheet, that sprawl type development always makes more sense to them, but they're not bearing, you know, the full cost of what it means to put houses at the, at the you know, at the edges of our community and what that will mean in increased, you know, fire and police response, what it'll mean in running resources out there. So um, we may need to incentivize that. And there has been a reluctance to incentivize infill development. I will say this, and I agree with everything uh, both of you have said, but like, uh, and I'm going off experience from the planning commission. I try to balance what may, cause I agree hundred percent with everything you guys said, but I also try to balance the idea that a, a developer, regardless of size of that developer, big or small, bought a, bought a piece of land with a certain intent. And I don't like us telling them they can't do what they want with it. Um, especially when up until just recently, we, we're giving them like, you know, go do whatever you want to it. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to that because um, they are investing in our community, right? They, they're they trying to do something and make a property better. So it's, it's hard sometimes to balance that too. And, uh, and I'm thinking specifically Tyson will remember uh, of the Fox Creek um, phase um, that I don't know, was in the last six, six months or so on the planning commission. It was a new phase to Fox Creek like this was in the works for, for uh, over a decade. Right. I mean, this developer has this land that's not earning any money for him right now um, that, that hasn't been able to develop. And now he sees the current housing market and an opportunity that he could finally get an ROI on something that he's been sitting on for, for, for a long time. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm very empathetic to that idea as well. Like I'm trying to find a good balance between making sure that we don't hinder people from wanting to invest in our community and developers wanting to develop here, but also trying to meet our long-term goals of infill and being uh, resourceful in the way that we plan and develop our community. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But that, that is a tension that exists. And I think finding that right balance and that right line is difficult, right? I mean, there's, there's two extremes there. One is, um, if it was in the works, it'll happen. And the other is we're, we're stopping everything now. And there's a lot of middle ground to try to find what feels fair. But keep in mind, when we allow that development, there is a cost involved with it. I mean, Fox Creek is a great example. Tax generation wise, we're in the red and we almost certainly will never be out of the red for what that costs the community. Um, and, um, and we have a huge expense because by allowing that kind of leapfrog community uh, development to happen, we now have to bring all the infrastructure between Bloomington and Fox Creek up, up to what is safe. That includes a $6 million bridge, mm -hmm. a $6 million bridge. So I get that the developers, um, you know, it's financially a good decision for them, but it's not for the city. So we have, to, but so we have to find a way to, to fairly change course when we know better, right? Like maybe we didn't know better when that development first went in, but we may have to change course because we now know that it is detrimental, especially because bringing up that, uh, that infrastructure to where it needs to be means we're not spending the money in other parts of the community, especially the West Side, which you know, hasn't gotten that type of infrastructure 
investment that it needs and deserves. I mean, Tyson talked about high-speed internet, companies coming in to put in high-speed internet. There are places on the West side, there's not the sufficient, there is not sufficient infrastructure for them to, to bring their product to the people who live in that area, even though people who live in that area want their product. And yeah. that's a problem. That is a problem to the people who live there. It's inequitable and um, it is going to slow down progress in those areas. So it's a lot to balance, but I, I, I agree with you because I also strongly do not like being in a position where we're not keeping our promises mm-hmm. or our assurances or have allowed people to make decisions based on what we're now saying is a changed policy. It's, it's a tough one. And that's really why, and, that, and that's why like when, when I see a, a project like that and I'm using Fox Creek as an example, but there's been a number of them. So I'm not trying to pick on them, but, yeah. but it's just a good example. I mean, there's, and, and to be clear, they're not doing anything wrong. The people developing it there who live there aren't doing anything wrong. This is more of a high level, um, you know, planning question. But then when I say, okay, yes, you know, that this makes sense. This was promised. This was in the, in the plans. Um, but let's follow along with our comprehensive plan and, and let's make sure we have, I'll mention it again, sidewalks on both sidewalks sides of the street, streets, right? Yeah. Let's make sure we do it. Passed on planning commission, it gets up to city council and like, oh, that's not the way the rest of the subdivision is. So we don't have to do it here either. And like, those kind of things drive me insane. Um, just because, and I, maybe this is a bigger conversation that needs to be had on another podcast about how city council takes those boards and commissions recommendations and how seriously they take them. Um, because there are often times that I feel like we might as well not have a meeting because the, the council is not going to take any discussion. They're not going to look at the minutes from that meeting. Um, and they're going to make their own decision based on a five minute presentation from staff. Um, or and, public comment or some like very strongly worded public comment, you know, uh, right. the same public comment that might've been delivered to us, but and then we work through that, come up with a solution. And then, you know, maybe, maybe everyone who came to us brings a friend to city council and then it, it goes back, you know, it's, it's. But the idea of coming back to balance is just that like, you know, this was promised, you were promised to do this, but part of our comprehensive plan is making sure that, you know, we have walk better walkability um, and those types of things. So, Hey, the nearest bus stop is far away. That stinks. Let's make sure people can walk there um, and not have to cross the street to do that. And that was just shot. And, and like I said, to be able to create a good debate and argument to pass on planning commission to make a change like that is one thing. And then to have it shut down so fast when it gets to city council. And the reason being the rest of the subdivision that was built over a decade ago doesn't have two sidewalks. Yeah. How are we going to change if we, if we refuse change? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And then also when you try to enact changes, like it is affecting people's expectations of what their community looks like and what a community looks like. Right. And so, um, you know, you talk about increased density, I mentioned increased density. So uh, I have enough room in my, I have a very large backyard and I have enough room to build another small house out there. If I wanted to, there is plenty of room for a, a moderate size house, especially if you're talking about like an accessory dwelling unit, like, uh, my mother, my father's much older than my mother, so most likely she'll have some time in her life when she's older and just living by herself. It would make much more sense for us in all respects if she could have a, a small structure in our backyard that's built that has all of the things that she needs and that's close to us and we're living in one piece of property. But that increases our property value and city services only have to, they don't have to go any further to get to us, right? It's the same same everything coming out here. So 
the city is essentially getting more value and more revenue from the same exact property it was before. Plus it's us, my, me using my property to better meet my needs. But I haven't checked recently, but I'm pretty sure that that would not be something that I would be allowed to do in Bloomington right now. And, and I'm sure that my neighbors would have feelings if they saw some trucks getting pulled up in another house coming out there because they're used to a certain view of my backyard and that would change their view of my backyard. Right. And so, well, and um, we see that, I mean, changed expectations are, are tough and we run into that a lot with new development in existing areas um, because people have gotten used to that being an empty lot. They've gotten used to using that as an empty lot. Yep, and then right, when, it, when someone comes to build something there, there is a feeling by, by the community or the neighbors at some times that they're losing something and that, that it shouldn't change. Mm-hmm. All the time. I mean, uh, okay. Yes, yeah, it I, happens. It, it's very frequently. <laughs> I mean, we had the same thing with Green Trap Grocery and, and the foundry and that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful development of, in, you know, wonderful infill development. Uh, there were people who re- were really adamantly against it because it re- represented change. Yeah, it goes back to uh, it goes yeah. back to the um, developer conversation I was having earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, every time there's a vacant piece of property that has residential adjacent to it that's getting developed, we get those conversations, right? Well, I don't mm-hmm. want this built there, and often when it comes to planning, right, it's it's changing the the, the zone from uh, what could have been built there would have been much worse, and they would have hated it. <laughs> So we're changing it to apartments and we're like, like that's yeah. always what I have to bring up is would you rather see an apartment building or a gas station? Would you rather see an apartment building or an adult bookstore? Like adult bookstore. Yes, exactly. Like t- someone could tomorrow come in by right and build an adult bookstore right here in front of your house and you wouldn't be able to stop it. <laughs> so do you think that kind of thing fits better here or do you think a apartment or it's not even, I mean, it, yeah. And I mean, those are the, com- it always seems like that's, I have to say the same thing. I repeat myself very often on planning commission when it comes to those issues, because people think they can stop someone from coming in and developing property. Um, and that's not the case. Vacant property doesn't earn us any money. That's the, if you, if you, if you want empty lots around you, you need to move a lot further away from town. <laughs> Well, let's not encourage that. Um, because, we, but I mean, the other thing, and we haven't talked about this and I hate to, bring up another topic. So I'll just briefly mention it is, you know, sprawl development is not ideal in McLean County. We don't talk about this a lot, but the farmland here is some of the most productive uh, in the world. And um, I think we as good stewards of the land that we're on need to keep that in mind. That needs to be part of the conversation. And I think we need to spend more time talking about the impact of agriculture on our local economy. We don't talk about that a lot, Um, but it's, it's a huge asset to our community. And, and we're very fortunate to live um, here in the Midwest where, um, where the farmland is, is so incredible. Um, but I suspect that's a whole other topic. And we have so many things we could talk about <laughs> for the we, rest of the day. We just need to do this once a month, it sounds like. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we wanted to have you on because um, yeah, uh, we know we, it's, always, it's always fun talking to you about these things. And um, so I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us, Amelia. That was very enjoyable. Yeah. I hope we'll be Thank back to doing this in me. person. It would be even more fun. I wouldn't interrupt you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it would be. Hopefully we'll get back to in person, but you're two of my favorite people to talk about local government with. So I really appreciate you just chatting with me today. Yeah. yeah. Always fun. 
Well, we have almost every um, council candidate scheduled for election edition. We've got still got a few scragglers that we're, um, we're hoping the peer pressure will get to them and they'll come in. But you'll see a lot of those episodes coming out here. If they don't come on Podbean, what are they hiding? I'm just kidding. Are, what are they? That'll be my first question. So it took you two months to sign up. What are you hiding? Candidate. Yeah. Uh, we'll look forward to that. Have a good afternoon, guys. Yep. We'll see you. All right.